Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by National Roper Supply. NRS has been providing quality Western wear and horse tack since 1989, and they are proud to be the number one Western store in the USA. From functional and fashionable Western wear and horse tack to essential livestock and horse supplies, NRS carries the products you need at prices you can afford. NRS is a one-stop shop for all things Western. NRS also carries our new line of modern cowboy brand apparel, caps, t-shirts, and hoodies. And for our listeners, use your special discount code MODERNCOWBOY at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. And remember, Modern Cowboy is the brand for the cowboy in all of us. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and pin. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick Although we're all the same The minute we ride in to the roping pen Hey everybody, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Um, I've wanted to have this uh, guy on my podcast that I have on here today for quite some time, <clears throat> Matthew Thomas. He is a uh, deputy here in Arizona, and I don't think he remembers this, but I actually met him one time in person. Uh, it was down in, um, oh, now I'm going to forget where I was at, um, Florence. It was at a, they had a big street thing there, and uh, uh, Sheriff Lamb was there, and I and I met Matthew at uh, at his booth so um and that's how I kind of found out about him and I've been following him on social media ever since and and it's I've, I'm super excited to talk to him for a lot of reasons one reason is uh just his line of work and everything he's done uh but also I've, I've seen some pictures of him from the past and it just reminds me of and I'm gonna forget the name of this movie now too but it's a true story it reminds me of Johnny Depp in that movie um oh what was it when he goes undercover uh anyway um Donnie, Donnie Brasco. There you go, Donnie Brasco. Yeah. So and Matt had long hair and and you know, I've just always been intrigued with with uh with that kind of stuff. And uh so anyway, uh he's a true patriot, uh a true public servant, and um excited to have him on. So Matthew, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. And I do remember that meeting. That was uh that was a good time here. Florence puts on a, a good gig every year. Yeah, yeah. You do remember, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So, give us give us a little bit of your background. I mean, um, you know, how'd you end up becoming, uh, you know, a sheriff? And, uh, and and if you can talk a little bit about some of those uh, undercover days, because I'm, you know, enamored with that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll I'll just give you the quick and dirty on on kind of my upbringing. I'm uh, Arizona native, so I was born and raised in Phoenix. Uh, uh, born in in. Uh, Good Sam Hospital there in Phoenix and, and uh, raised down in South Phoenix at South Mountain Avenue and Central is kind of the area that I grew up. And uh, my grandparents, they were World War II vets, moved to Phoenix after the war 
And that's where they kind of settled. And we ended up in uh, that part of Phoenix because my grandparents were trying to get on the outskirts at the time. And that was the outskirts at the time was uh, South Phoenix. And so, uh, you know, my mom's generation grew up there. And then uh, I ended up growing up there all the way up to high school. And then uh, my mom realized that uh, a bunch of my friends were getting in trouble. And uh, it was a little bit dangerous down there. I had a couple of friends that had already been shot by the time I reached high school. And uh, she wanted to get me out of there. So we moved out to Queen Creek, which was complete culture shock for me because I was uh, an inner city kid and I was moving out to an area that was all uh, farming and rural. And so uh, I finished out as a Queen Creek Bulldog my sophomore, junior and, and senior year, graduated in 1990. Little known fact, I was homecoming king in 1990. <laughs> Go Bulldogs. Um, and uh, that's where I met my wife. She went to Queen Creek as well. And uh, and I, after high school, uh, I kind of spent a year trying to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. And my mom was pushing me to get off my butt and figure something out. And uh, I started applying for this position. And I've always had an interest in, in law enforcement. And in South Phoenix, I was exposed to law enforcement quite a bit, sometimes <laughs> on the good side, sometimes not. And uh, so always had kind of an interest. And in, in really, uh, uh, my wife and I uh, were girlfriend and boyfriend at the time, she ended up pregnant at 19. And I ended up uh, being getting ready to be a father at 19. And so I knew I had to do something to uh, solidify our, our family situation. And so uh, ended up getting this job with Pinell County. That was the first offer I got. So I had put in for Maricopa County, uh, the state, Pinell County, all kind of at the same time and uh, got the call here first, got hired here first. And that was in uh, 1993. And I've been here since. I just passed my 29th year here with the county. I uh, worked in our jail and I uh, worked in there for about a year, just over a year. And then I moved out to what we call the road, which is being a deputy sheriff out on the streets and uh, kind of just started my career there. And I've worked the uh, entire county in a bunch of different positions. Now, that's that's crazy. So you, you've been there. You've been there over 30 years almost. Well, almost, yeah. So I just passed 29 in April. Yeah, eight, yeah. April uh, April 18th was my 29 year anniversary. Yep. Crazy. So um, now, did you work some undercover stuff before? Or? I did. So uh, I, uh, my career kind of, I again started in the jail. Then I went out to the road as a patrol deputy, um, and then I kind of got into. And again, being where I was from as a kid, a uh, lot of gangs, a lot of bad guys, a lot of drugs. Um, I kind of knew that realm already. And so I gravitated towards that as a cop. That was my, like the specialty area that I wanted to get into was gangs right. and drugs. Right. And so, uh, I worked as a uniform patrol guy up until about, oh my gosh, it was about late 1999 or the two thousands, right around there is when I got approached by back then, what would happen is the undercover sergeant, uh, would kind of recruit people in. Right. And so, uh, I got, I got pulled into a meeting by the sergeant and his corporal and they basically sat me down and said, Hey, we think you have what it takes to be a good undercover. So we want to know if you'd like to come work with us. And, uh, I said, yeah, you know, I, I didn't think at the time, cause I was very rigid, uniformed cop. And, right. uh, I looked every bit of a cop and, and, uh, I didn't, I was like, are you guys sure? Like, look at me. And they said, <laughs> no, no, we can, 
we can fix the look. It's the, uh, you know, it's more of the heart and it's the understanding of the streets and all that, that we, we can't really teach people. They have to have that. And, uh, so yeah, I got into undercover work then, um, that was my first stint and that would have, so it would have been 2000. And then, uh, as we went into 2001, um, I tested for Sergeant and I ended up promoting out of narcotics back into uniform and uh, stayed in uniform in different capacities up until about 2006, late 2006, early 2007, I uh, got to go back to narcotics as the sergeant. And so I went back in and uh, our, we, we still had a pretty small squad at the time. So I was a case carrying sergeant. So as a sergeant, typically uh, in most big undercover units, you don't carry cases, you don't uh, have confidential informants, but I did all that. So I was still doing casework and still doing undercover work. And the cool thing was, as a sergeant, I got to kind of pick some of the cases I wanted to work. So right. um, I got to cher- cherry pick a little bit. But yeah, so I, that was my second stint in uh, undercover. And that was the majority of the undercover work that I did was as a sergeant. Um, and we were working everywhere from street level cases all the way up to your, your high end cartel level cases, um, yeah. on wires and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Um, any situations that you got in that you were, I mean, literally scared to death or, uh, well, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of situations where I, I don't, I don't think scared's the right word at the time. Right. Um, I, On high you know, alert. When you look back. <laughs> yeah. You just, there's, there's times when you're, you're very aware that it could be a deadly situation at, at, at any second. Right. And right. Uh, you're, you, you know, you're in the thick of it, but um, I think, and, and, you know, for the listeners, I'm not trying to sound like a badass, but I, you, it's what I signed up for and it's what I wanted to do. Right. So when you're in those situations, that's kind of, you're like, all right, this is my jam right here. You know, this right. is what I'm here for. Um, and uh, so you, you don't get scared. I think till after the fact, when you're kind of like, Whew, holy yeah. shit, I almost died. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the moment it's, it's, uh, it's just uh, very, you're very aware and, and your senses are super heightened and, and uh, I love, I, I, don't, I can't say that I love it so much anymore as I get older, but right. at that time, I loved chaos. That was my world. I loved when it was just kicking off around me, and that was where I liked operating. Yeah. So it, it was fun. But there were some situations where, um, you know, looking back, I, I have a very good guardian angel. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, here in Arizona, and, and you know, being at the border and everything, you guys deal quite a bit with, uh, you know, just the, the illegal immigration and obviously the drug trafficking and human trafficking and all that. Uh, just tell us a little bit about that. And, and, you know, what, you know, what scale is that on like in, in your guys area where you guys are working? So yeah, Arizona being a border County, that's a huge problem for us. And, uh, if people just look at the Southern border, below our state we're one of the states that does really we really don't have the barrier across the entire state um the wall and so we have a lot of open desert and in our county in particular we're about 65 miles off the border at our closest point which would be the southwest portion of our county um and why we're so unique and why we become the focal point so much and you know my sheriff sheriff lamb 
is very vocal about this because of we do have a huge problem, not only in our county, but our state. Right. But our particular county, if you look at the southwest corner of our county, if you shot straight south to Mexico, it's all open desert. It's all Indian reservation. So it's it's uh, very low population, mm-hmm. uh, very uninhabited and very open terrain for them to travel through. And uh, then when you get to the south end of that at the international border, there's really no boundaries for them to cross. So some of it's like barbed wire fence, some of it's Normandy style style barriers. And uh, so for foot traffic and for vehicle traffic, it's easier for them to get through. And then just by the the terrain um, down in that area, if you look at it on a topographical map, uh, there's mountain ranges that run north south from Mexico and, and it right. kind of funnels it right into our county. So as they cross over and they they come up those valleys from Mexico, it's about a six day walk from Mexico to our county. Um, that six days, they're walking those valleys in between those mountains, sometimes in those mountains, and it directs them right into our county. And so we end up with a, a pretty big problem at the southwest corner of our county because that becomes the first civilization they really hit so if you looked at like nogales right Right. nogales is is uh nogales sonora right up against nogales arizona so it's city against city um this is all open desert till they get to that portion and then they hit like stanfield and maricopa and that area that becomes the first civilization so that's their first contact point with like law enforcement um, or any resistance. And so right. that's why you'll you'll hear the sheriff and I say a lot that I-8 becomes the new like international boundary because that's where they really start hitting that population area again. Yeah. You know, you 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 know, you're very outspoken on social media and stuff just about you know, uh just about being an American and about and about the values that that you know our country stands for and what we're founded on do you do you get you get you know uh you know blowback from from uh you know other constituent constituents in in politics and stuff or or any other law enforcement agencies or anything like that uh, i mean you know like you guys do like full auto friday which is which is like awesome you know um you know and some people might look at that and, and go oh, you know these guys are you know freaking outlaws or something but uh i'm just curious yeah, no, I, there's haters everywhere, you know. And right. I, uh, uh, one one thing I've really learned from Sheriff Lamb is to ignore the noise and just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Because what I find is uh, uh, those haters tend to be that small minority yeah. uh, that that you know are that way for whatever reason. And typically speaking, what I've found through life is that people that are haters they don't hate me; they hate their life. You know, oh, they they they've got their own problems and they're projecting that onto other people. So. As a good, you know, I, I, I have uh, gotten back into my faith over the last decade more than I've ever been in my life. And I, so I'm a true believer in, in just treating my fellow human being with respect and decency. And uh, when I see those people or when I hear from them, I'm like, man, you know, I feel bad for you because I know you got something going on in your life where right. you just hate life in general and you're projecting that. So yeah, I get the haters, but I really don't pay attention to them. You'll get the comments like, Oh, why do cops need for a lot of weapons? And I'm like, dude, you know, <laughs> we all know it's not about that. Yes. I, exactly. I like shooting full auto weapons and I have the right to do that. And right. I enjoy doing it. And I like having my family do that. And so, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, we all understand as Americans, and this goes back to, again, being with my grandparents. My my grandfather was probably the strongest um, father figure 
in my life because I didn't really have a dad since I was about five. So I was raised by an old World War II vet and an yeah. old Texan to boot. And so um, he instilled a lot of that, the values and the patriotism and the uh, if you don't like it, you can kiss my ass kind of stuff. And I think as Americans, that's that's the beauty of our country is the other countries, while they all sit around and talk about how they hate us, they really want to be us yeah. and they want to be like us. And uh, so it's a it's a weird phenomenon. So when I get haters that hate me for being patriotic, loving my country, shooting guns and stuff like that. All it does is fuel the fire. It just it makes me more passionate about what I do. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's interesting. You know, we've we've gone through all this stuff with, uh, you know, police officers and and you know, supposed violence against you know certain people and whatever. And it's it, it you know, I, I don't know what's your what's your feeling on you know how the the media you know just you know, exploits that it's such a small percentage anyway. And, and the other thing is too, and I've talked about this before a little bit, you know, people that end up in situations where you're, you know, somehow having some type of a confrontation with law enforcement, there's a reason you're there, you know, I mean, you know, and, and I just think about, you know, trying to do your job. I mean, uh, you know, I I don't know that I could, could do it, you know, but I just, I just look at police officers and I, and I see what's, what's happened, you know, and, and all this thing with defunding and everything else. And they all, obviously they've realized that's just doesn't work, but, uh, you know, how, how do you just, you know, just keep, you know, going forward and doing your job, you know, dealing with all that, you know, extraneous crap that is out there. Well, and again, it, uh, you know, having been in this now for almost three decades, I understand that, that it's all very cyclic. And, uh, um, I I've said this over and over again, they, I've went through my whole career of, they love us. They hate us. They love us. They hate us. They love us. They hate us. I mean, it always switches back and forth. You know, we can be the heroes one year and then next year we're the absolute villains. And it's all a narrative that, like you said, it's set by the media right. and it's, you know, what they portray us as, and it's, it's not true, you know, cause we're, I can tell you like, for 30 years, I've worked with nothing but great people yeah. that are servants of their community. And yes, we have bad apples. We understand that, but no one wants to get rid of them more than us. We, right. you know, we don't want them amongst our ranks. And uh, when you get into the racial stuff, it, it's tough for us because I, I, obviously I'm a white guy. And so I can't understand what a black male in America is going through, nor would I ever try to. Um, and I'm sympathetic to their feeling you know and what they've been through but i also understand that crime does not really it's not hey a crime is committed because a person's black or because they're white it's people who make choices it's human beings who make choices right. and my job is to enforce laws i don't make laws i enforce them and so whatever's on the books whatever the legislatures have told me is illegal my job is to make sure people don't do those illegal things. And when they do, that's when I show up and they have to face consequences. And I'll say that that's the biggest thing that has changed throughout my career as a cop is accountability. Because when I grew up as a kid, I was taught that if you screw up, you own up to it right. and you take accountability and you work through that. Well, we've switched that. These kids are being taught that just point to other directions you know it's because i got a spanking as a kid or it's because <laughs> my parents were mean to me or it's because it's all victim 
mentality and it's all lacking accountability and that's the biggest problem in in our world today in the u.s specifically with law enforcement is the accountability piece because when i show up it's because somebody has broken a law right and i'm there to filter through that and if they if they comply if like if i show up and say hey i need you to step over here so we can talk Right. Okay, cool. I don't want to argue with you. I'm not the judge and jury. We're not going to make any decisions about this whole thing on scene. Right. I'm just make a decision on did you break the rules and do I have to do something about that? And if the answer is yes, then let's take care of that problem. Um, and it's when we get non-compliance that it becomes problematic. And then all of a sudden we are, you know, we become the bad guys. And uh, they they try and turn that into political agendas or they try and turn it into racial issues and stuff like that. And it's, it's just a bunch of BS. And I mean, the statistics show that when you actually talk about facts. Yeah. Yeah. When you really look at the, at at the, um, like you said, the actual facts of, of circumstances and what happens, it, it shows without a doubt that, that, uh, you know, so many times, I mean, it's not the it's not the the officers that's really doing anything wrong. It's it's the criminal that's escalating it. Right, right. And I've never ever in my career been dispatched to a call because you know how it works for us is I'm driving in a car and dispatch gets a hold of me on the radio and says, "Hey, go to so and so address for whatever problem." Right. Never have I ever heard in our field of work the dispatcher say, "Oh, by the way, the person is this or that race." Right. Or have I heard a cop ask, hey, what race is the person? So that doesn't come into play. It's Again, it's human beings. We're here to do a job dealing with other human beings. And, of course, there's always going to be mistakes because we're all humans. Right. And uh, we try and work through that. And that's the way, you know, Sheriff Lamb and I try to lead the agency is from that perspective, is that we are all public servants. Right. We're, we're community members first. So we are members of the same community we're policing but we're public servants charged with keeping that community safe. And sometimes, you know, the, sometimes doing that, the, it's violent because yeah. we have violent bad guys out there and, and we don't like violence any more than the next guy. But I was told early on in my career by a very smart, savvy cop, he said, son, we are in a customer service job. If the customer demands violence, you have to deliver that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's kind of been the way I look at it as we go forward. I don't want to be violent, but if somebody's trying to hurt or kill me, I'll be damned if I'm going to let that happen or to any of my people. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I was just thinking about too, it's like when you get a call and you show up, I mean, you don't know what you're showing up to, you know? And I mean, that right there is going to, you know, just elevate your adrenaline, your cortisol. I mean, and obviously, you know, you know, time in the saddle makes a cowboy. So the more you, you know, the more you've, uh, you know, experience you have in, in dealing with that, but still that that's got, a, that plays a huge part, you know, in, in just doing your job. I mean, just right. that the underlying, you know, not knowing, you know, what somebody's going to do. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously people that are in situations, especially emotional situations, we all can be in a different emotional state and do things that are completely irrational and out of character for us. And, you know, so you're, you're dealing with all those things at the same time. Uh, you know, uh, it just, it's not an easy job. I mean, to me, no. from looking from the outside, no. it does it does not look easy at all. No, it's it's not easy, and and what people fail to realize, and I've signed up for this, so I know. But uh, statistically speaking, we die within five years of retirement, 
And that's because of all the stuff we deal with through our careers. It's yeah. the ups, the downs, the adrenaline dumps, the cortisol, the sleep pattern disruption, the lack of sleep, the PTSD that goes along with seeing dead people and bodies mangled kids you have to pack up in body bags all the stuff that goes along with this career that people just kind of shrug off as oh, it's part of doing the job yeah it's part of doing the job but humans weren't meant to you know be subjected to that constantly in our career if you look at just what it entails and the statistics behind it we're subject to far more traumatic scenes than any other human being is subject to. Yeah. And so the stuff we see, the stuff we have to deal with, and then you, you try and separate yourself from that when you go home and it's tough because again, right. we're community members. So I may go to a soccer game with my kid and I see the guy that I got into a fight with because he beat his wife up and didn't want to go to jail. Right. And his kid is playing soccer with my kid. And you know, how do you deal with that? that whole, uh, you know, that's an yeah. uneasy feeling. And uh, I, I talked to one of my buddies that was, uh, he was in one of the top tier groups on the military side. And I said, man, I have so much respect for you guys and, and what you do because, you know, they're dropping you off in foreign countries in a small squad and you're having to go do real crazy things for our country. And he's like, dude, are you kidding me? He said, you guys deserve way more respect than us. He said, I don't live amongst my enemies. I go to some foreign place. I do my thing. I come back home to my family where I don't have those enemies, you know, really yeah. surrounding me every day. Right. He says, you guys are in your uniforms working and dealing with the, the people that you live with and they become your enemies at, at points because of their choosing, not yours. And you're having to, you know, like the stuff I'm describing, you're having to live amongst them. And it all wears on you. And I'll tell you, there's been plenty of times in this career, and I, I apologize for the language where I've been like, fuck these people, you right, know, because right. you're you're just, <laughs> you're in a spot where you're like, man, they have no idea the sacrifices that I've made in my life to try and make this a safer community. And these people just don't care. And, yeah. and they make horrible choices. And somehow that has become my fault because, you know, their choices. But all in all, how you keep pushing forward is for, uh, a big one is uh, your faith yeah. and, and knowing that in the end, we all know that the good guys win. And then also knowing that this this is my job and that I can't take it personal. And uh, those people that project hate on me, uh, most of the time, that's not a personal thing. It's it's just part of the business. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, top tier guys. We, we we have some mutual friends. Uh, I, I think I've seen you recently. I, did you go skydiving recently or am I mistaken? <laughs> no, they uh, keep trying to get me up there, but I, yeah, I keep so, saying no. <laughs> so you, you, you know, DJ and Cole then from. Yeah. 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 And I actually had them on the podcast. Um, I don't know. Gosh, it's been quite a while. Right when they first started Tribe Skate, but now they got their new their new uh, training deal going and that thing's just yeah. going great. But yeah, GBRS group is yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, I'm planning on going skydiving. They they invited me one time, so you got to go too. <laughs> oh, dude. So so I think you know George down there in Eloy, right? Yeah. Do you know George? Yeah. Okay. So George is the one that keeps trying to get me to go, and I and I can't say that I know DJ well. I've met him and I've talked right. to him. Right. And I've got and it's kind of through George. Right. And uh, it's. George is the one that keeps pressing me. We got to get you on a jump. We got to get you on a jump. I'm like, dude, I'm good on the ground, bro. I'm, I'm good here. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So I, I've, I've seen too, I mean, 
so you say, you know, you were raised in South Phoenix, you know, you're a city guy, but then you ended up out in Queen Creek and Queen Creek. I mean, even, I mean, man, you think back to when did you guys first move there to Queen Creek? Uh, it, I moved to Queen Creek in 87. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, was just a, that was a cowboy town. I mean, team yeah. rope, team yeah. rope and central. There was a lot of, uh, 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 top world champion guys that lived there at the time back then, but, yeah. um, it's grown tremendously, but you have you have you kind of drifted over to that because I've seen you wear a cowboy hat and stuff. Have you drifted over to that? Got a little bit of that, you know, cowboy side in you now, or what? some of, some of that <laughs> sheriff lamb rubbed off on you? Oh man, I'll tell you what he he has rubbed off on me. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, just family lineage. Uh, I'm straight up redneck on on, on <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> mom's side of the family and even some of dad's side. Uh, we we hail from uh, the mountains of Tennessee and, and then down into Arkansas and Texas. Yeah. And, uh, so I've got the cowboy blood in me. Yes. My grandpa, uh, he was a cowboy. Um, I've got some pictures from when I was a kid, when he had his, uh, his cowboy hat that I wore all the time. And, and, uh, as I, and I was on horses and stuff when I was younger, but as I got into high school and again, a city boy, um, I kind of got out of that and I've never really, I, I wouldn't consider myself a cow, cowboy at all because there's, I've seen some cowboys and they right. are some tough dudes, um, <laughs> but I've been around them. Yeah. And then when I was in Queen Creek, yeah, I was around them quite a bit. And, and at the time, Queen Creek was really, really cool. Um, it was such a cool town to finish high school. in because uh, like any high school, you have these groups of people, different right. groups. You have cowboys, you right. had, you know, like skaters and jocks right. and all that stuff. And we all hung out together. And yeah. it all became this blend, and uh, it was it was fantastic. It was a fantastic environment to grow up in, and so I hung out with some of those cowboys, um, and I did some cowboy stuff. I love hunting and fishing. I'm mm -hmm. a big bow hunter. Uh, I I got a nice bull elk last year or year before last um, up north, and uh, you know I hang out with some of the cowboys up north. Um, so I have an affinity because uh, that to me is true Americana. That is uh, the values that cowboys have yeah. are the same values that I have. And then, uh, you know, you've seen me over the past couple of years rocking the cowboy hat and, and doing the Western thing here and there. And that is more out of the love for the culture um, that I grew up in in this state and the yeah. culture of the sheriff's office. We have a long tradition in the sheriff's office, you know, and yeah. it is that cowboy culture. Yeah. And so, um, I just, I, you know, one day I could be rocking Chucks and Levi's and the next day I could yeah. be rocking, uh, some cowboy boots. Sorry. My no phone's going off behind no me. I didn't turn it down. <laughs> are, are you in the office right now too, or are you home? I am in the office. Yeah. No, no okay. I'm at the office. Uh, the sheriff, uh, the sheriff just left a little bit ago. I told him, Hey, I'm in do uh do the podcast with you guys he's like all right yeah he because anytime we have a chance to uh to promote the office right. and uh and connect with people and that's been the big difference with uh, sheriff lamb is my sixth sheriff that i've worked for and uh the big difference with sheriff lamb is how much he is connected to the community and how much he cares about people he's just a genuinely good person yeah uh so any chance we get to do this kind of stuff where people can see just Here's Matt Thomas, right? The guy behind the uniform, uh, even though I'm in uniform, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we we love jumping on that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so now, yeah, you, you're also in, into fitness quite a bit. I see you posting stuff on fitness, which is super cool. Um, did, did you play sports when you were in school too, or no? I did. I uh, I played baseball all growing up as a kid. Um, 
And then as I got into high school, my mom wouldn't let me play football when I was young. She didn't <laughs> want me racking my head. She knew I already had a had some brain injuries or something. <laughs> so uh, as I got into high school, uh, I played football there at Queen Creek. So I was yeah. a I was a football player for Queen Creek High, and then uh, played. Uh, I did not play baseball there, but I played basketball as well. Um, so I kind of got out of the baseball as I went into high school, got into basketball and football, and uh, then. Yeah. And I've always enjoyed playing both of those, even outside, you know, if we get pickup games going here and there until I blew out my knees a couple of years ago. So I don't, I don't do the basketball anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you were talking about your, your grandfather too, uh, World War II vet and uh, in that, uh, that he was a cowboy too. And, and uh, you know, Ty Murray's I've heard Ty Murray say a lot of times and I've said it before, uh, that's back in the day when the men were made out of steel and the shoots were made out of wood. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's a different culture back then. How, yeah. how old, oh, how old was he when, when he passed? Your grandfather. Oh, he was only, uh, he was only 58. He had a, oh, a pretty big, big heart attack. He was, uh, he was, you know, young by, by standards, but yeah. uh, I'll tell you why. Um, and it's, it's not funny, but it brings a smile to my face because my grandpa was just a, a hard dude. And uh, it was because he ate what he wanted to eat. He right. drank a lot of whiskey. Right. And yeah, so yeah. it caught up to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, you hear a lot of that, guys that, you know, were in World War II. You know, that was, uh, uh, that was a different time. And, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, not, not to make a joke about anything, but I, I was watching this thing the other day. And, and uh, this, uh, it's like, look, this is a series on on uh prime or whatever and this old boy was there and he's talking to this young kid and he goes what are you the kid's like i'm trying to find myself and the old boy he's old he goes you know what i did when to find what we did to find ourselves back in the day we killed nazis <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i tell you i told you he was he was my uh my father figure yeah uh for the most part and and uh i i really you know looking back as as a an adult now in a world that it has just turned to i don't know what um looking back i was i'm very fortunate to have had his influence because um i think it's helped me in this job it's helped me persevere a lot because he was uh he taught me that uh life does not give a shit about you it's going to keep going right and uh you gotta you gotta put on your big boy pants and you gotta get up and go and i also learned um just some basic things that uh I don't think kids understand anymore. Stand up when you shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye, have a solid handshake, uh, have respect for your elders. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. All that stuff goes a long way in life. And it actually, to me, makes you just a better, decent person. And I watched him. He was a, he was a business owner. Uh, Some guys that listen to this will know four wheeler supply. It's gone now, but he started four wheeler supply. It was Western auto when he first started it. Oh, really? uh, he turned it into four wheeler supply and then he ended up selling out to old man Warren of Warren hubs and uh, people will know what yeah, Warren hubs are yeah. there four wheel drive. So, uh, he was in that business and I, I watched him make handshake deals for hundreds of thousands of dollars and yeah. there was no legal paperwork or everybody honored their word. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's kind of the culture and the, the bringing up that I had. And again, I think it just helped me in life. And it's something I think that's really lacking these days is, is just 
being yeah. honorable, being true to your word and uh, having respect for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I really think, and I, I hope, and I pray that, that this whole weird thing we've been through is starting to turn uh, because there's, you know, there's a lot more people are just standing up. I mean, just like you guys, you know, in, in the positions, you know, you're in, uh, which is a position of authority and, and, and respect. And, you know, you're not afraid to put yourself out there on social media and, and it's, which I think is great because it's an example for, you know, uh, younger people. And, you know, uh, as well as I do, if, you know, even as you get older, you still need to have examples. You still need to reinforce, uh, you know, all the, all the, um, values and, and things that we hold dear uh and and stay accountable as men and we need to stay accountable in in raising our 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 young men and uh, i just oh, think yeah. that yeah. i think that uh i think that i think you know like you said there's an ebb and flow in in everything and i think we're gonna we're, we're gonna be turning back to that more to where you know it's okay to be a man and, and you know and that, that's right. what god that god and that's what god intended he intended us to be men yeah. and we yeah. need to act like men and uh you know, and I just, I have a lot of respect for you and in, in, in what you do and, and, uh, you know, and being an example and, uh, you know, and, you know, walk in your talk, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And that's, uh, I serve in children's ministry at my church and my wife does as well. And she did it before I did. And mm -hmm. the reason I was drawn to it is exactly what you're describing. Cause I felt just in my heart, I felt like these boys and girls right. need positive role models. The boys need to know it's okay to be masculine. It's okay to be a man. It's okay yep. to open doors for women. Yep. And these girls need to know that it's okay to be a strong young lady, yep. but it's also okay to have the door open for you and be treated with respect and, you know, all the things that go along with that. And so I, that's why I jumped into that because I felt I could have a good influence. Um, and it's nice to be, because, you know, when you're, when I'm in this uniform, I'm the chief, right? And so right. It, it has all this stuff that goes along with it. But when I'm in my civilian clothes with those kids, I'm just Matt. You yeah. know, I'm Matt, the the adult that's getting to pour love into them, right. show them how life should be and show them how they should be treated. And uh, that's a big thing for me. I think that's, I think we've had a generation that has missed that. And that's the adults that are causing all the bullshit now. Right. And uh, that's why I want to heavily invest in, in these kids now, because I think they're the ones that are going to turn it back to uh positive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so I always ask everybody um, uh, three questions on the podcast. Do you have a favorite brand of cowboy hats? Ooh, well, um, I didn't until <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the sheriff as a as a gift got me a Watson's custom hat and the oh. Watson's guys are up in Cave Creek. Yes, yeah. And uh, that hat fits. I I remember my grandpa's hat fitting my head so well that I thought, how is this possible? Like it right. feels like a part of me. Yeah. My new black hat that uh, I got from Watson's fits just like that, and I love that thing. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, they're right. Yep. They're right. Right out there in um, Cave Creek. Super cool yep. shop too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, that was a very nice gift. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. How about cowboy boots? You got a favorite brand of boots or? Uh, Ariat are the ones I love, and uh, they're not. I know they're not expensive, but man, I I just love them. They they're comfortable. I always get compliments on them. People yeah. are always like, "Are those custom boots?" I'm like, "No, they're Ariat, man." <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. know? 
<laughs> well, you know what what Ariat's done, uh, you know, and it, it's really smart what they what they did is they took the technology, they took like uh, you know, tennis shoe technology almost and mm-hmm. incorporated it into their boots because that's one of the yep. biggest things you hear about people uh, is that how comfortable Ariat's are and, and one of the reasons they love them. And plus, they're you know they got super cool styles too. But um, right, right. Yeah. How about uh, Western movies? You got a favorite Western movie? Oh man, um, God, I, I love a lot of them. When we when we go elk hunting, uh, my buddy has a cabin in South Fork, and it's loaded with all old westerns. <laughs> John Wayne was my absolute favorite, so I I, I would say any John Wayne film. But uh, um, Grit was probably one of my favorites. Yeah, True, true Grit. True Grit. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, John Wayne is definitely a, a, a hero. And, hey, he had a ranch right out there in Maricopa, too, for many, many years. Yeah, not well, not only that, he had one right up there in Eager as well, right where I helped him. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he had a place up there. Super cool. Well, Matt, hey, man, I, I know that you're I know you're at the office, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on and, and uh, sharing your story. And, uh, you know, uh, my hat's off to you and the work you do and – you know, we support you 110%. And, uh, I just look forward to, to seeing Arizona become an even better state here in the future as, as we continue to, uh, move forward and, uh, fight to keep all of our rights. And, and when people move in from other States, they make sure they leave their politics there because. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. California, keep your California politics. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And I appreciate the support. We feel the support out there. And let me tell you, um, our county in particular, uh, I want to tell anybody that's listening to this one, this counts everywhere. But if you see a a man or a woman in uniform, it means the world to them when you come up and say, we appreciate what you do. Um, We know you have it tough out there. It means more than you know, and and the support, we can feel it. And uh, I'll tell you, our county, we feel it a lot. We were just telling um, we had a meeting, the sheriff and I had a meeting with some people from the community and we told them, thank you. Thank you for doing that all the time. You guys are so supportive and, uh, more than it means to me, it means a lot to the people out on the street because they feel the pressures of all that BS narrative. Yes. Um, and that helps, that helps alleviate some of that. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Matt. And then, uh, uh we're going to get that set up so we can go down there and make a jump. <laughs> i think i All think right, i think sheriff lamb jumped didn't he or no am i am i yes, mad? yes. He, he did no, he he did he did a tandem jump and uh even his wife did a tandem jump and, and so he's mentioned that to me a few times i think he's trying to punk me into uh to doing it <laughs> well, well maybe I'll, maybe i'll have to reach out to him and we'll have to get that set up and it'll be a surprise deal oh <laughs> uh, yeah I, i've got a gun so i don't know if i'm gonna go easy <laughs> Hey, well, thanks again, Matt. I appreciate it. And you enjoy the rest of your day, and then uh, we'll be in touch soon. All right. Thank you. You bet. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and pin. We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs $20,000 horses, then there's my own stick Although we're all the same The minute we ride in to the roping pen Well, I ain't no 
think I never can tell Someday I just might be We'll turn a few steers And we'll tell a few lies Kick back in the saddle And philosophize Most of life's problems Yeah, we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope Now he's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the rope and pin And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack If you can back it up Oh, but we're all friends no matter who wins, down at the rope and pin. Well, I ain't no play your speed. But I give her hell, hey, you never can tell. Someday I just might be. We'll turn another pin of steers, tell a few more lies. Drink another beer and hypothesize most of life's problems. By God, we're gonna solve them down at the roping pen. We'll see y'all again next weekend down at the roping pen. Down.